Well, I am blessed and privileged to be able to come to you and share the gospel of Jesus Christ with you this morning. I, what a privilege it is to serve under the leadership of Pastor and Nina Brooks. We love you so, so much, our pastor and Nina. If you don't like this morning's message, come back next week. It'll be a lot better, I promise you. <laughs> but uh, Pastor has given me the opportunity to share with you as he recovers, con- continues to recover from COVID. Uh, he's, don't worry about it. He's got six feet away, and he's tested negative, so don't worry. But trying to get that breath and trying to speak and try to bring the gospel, boy, it, it's hard whenever you're, you know, whenever you have the breath. It's hard to try to get all the energy and try to get all that force uh, to be able to preach that gospel. I'm going to go ahead and get my podium right quick, okay? <laughs> it's hard to do that, but whenever you, um, when you don't have the breath, it's difficult. All right. Praise the Lord anyhow. Um, I also know that this afternoon, uh, him and Nina are headed to a uh, uh, district minister's retreat. If you know anything a little bit about district ministers retreat, what you'll find out is that it's actually not a retreat, but it wears you out. (laughs) So if you like, if you like going to a whole bunch of meetings and church services, district ministers retreat is just for you. (laughs) And they are headed out this afternoon so that they can try to make all the meetings that they have planned. And I appreciate your leadership, Pastor, to not only this church, but this district. You guys don't even know where our district would be without the leadership of Pastor Brooks. We really appreciate you guys very much, very much. So we've decided to give him this day off. We also celebrated Clay and McKenna Brooks's wedding last night. What an ordeal that was. That was a beautiful ceremony. I couldn't imagine it any other way. We had a, a beautiful time, wonderful food, um, great fun with friends and family. It's just a is a beautiful thing. And, and like um, Pastor Brooks shared in, during the ceremony last night, he always uses this line that has always caught my attention because he says, he looks over the crowd and he says, folks, this is high drama. <laughs> high drama. And if you've ever been a part of a wedding, you know what I'm talking about a little bit. High drama. Trying to figure out where you're going to come in. Where you're going to stand? Do I say I do or I will? That's all drama. Trying to figure out how to walk in a dress. That was my experience. (laughs) It's just high drama. And and friends, it just feels like more and more every day that we under we live under a tremendous pressure. It it doesn't let up. Somebody needs to tell Clay that the pressure doesn't let up when he gets married. <laughs> He'll figure it out. Yeah. That poor boy, he doesn't know what he's in for. The pressure is just intense. And it comes from everywhere. It comes from your job. It comes from it comes from your friends, and it comes from your family. It comes from uh, broken stuff that's happening all around the house. It comes from your kids. It comes from uh, the obligations that you've made for yourself throughout the church and the, the community. It's like everywhere you turn, there's some kind of pressure that's pushing down on you. 
And if you're anything like me, you've tried to look around to try to figure out how, do you, how you can get out of that pressure that you're under constantly. And no matter where you look, no matter what you do, you don't feel any better. You're always feeling like you're under pressure. But what, what happens when we begin to think that that pressure is a problem in our life? What happens when you begin to think to yourself that the, that the pressure that you are under is a problem? Well, I want to jump right into the Word of God this morning. So if you would, open up your Bibles to Romans chapter 5. We're going to be starting in verse 1. We're going to go through 1 through 5. We're going to really do a deep dive study in this passage. And if you'd like to follow us uh, along with the notes, you can open up your Bible app and select menu. And then from your menu, you can click on events. And under events, you can select our church and you can follow along with my notes. So I want to encourage you, you can either use the Bible app or your paper Bible. There's something about turning the page though. You know what I'm saying? Turning the page smelling your old tears. <laughs> I think that's probably against the CDC guidelines, smelling the smell of your old tears. But there's something about seeing your old highlights and your old notes. I want to encourage you this morning that note takers are history makers. So be, grab your Bible, grab your pen, grab, grab, open that notepad on your, on your phone because I really believe this morning that the, that the Lord would like to speak to you something that will forever change your heart because his word is anointed. Amen? Amen. So as you're turning there, I want to share a little background to the book of Romans. You see, Paul wrote the letter of Romans to the Roman church. Surprise, surprise, right? See, for 25 years, Paul had been preaching and teaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. But just like a game of telephone where you whisper into your neighbor's ear and then the neighbor whispers into their ear and so on and so forth, that message of the gospel began to have rumors and distortions all in it. And so Paul wanted to straighten this Roman church out before he got there so that he had a firm foundation to begin to speak growth and change into their life. And so he wrote this book, and consequently from the writing of this book, we have in the New Testament the strongest provision of, of theology that we'll find in the New Testament, in the book of Romans. And as we go through the first parts of the book of Romans, we find that Paul begins to teach about sin and what sin is, sin to the Gentile and sin to the, to the Jew. And he begins to talk about salvation in chapters 3 and 4 and, and, and what a wonderful thing that that salvation is, but then whenever he jumps into chapter 5, he starts talking about a little thing called suffering. Somebody say suffering. You didn't have to. <laughs> you, you didn't have to say suffering. See, because there might be somebody in here that, that doesn't know a lot about suffering. Y'all looking around like, who is that? <laughs> who is that? Because there also is probably a couple people in here that know a little bit about suffering, a little bit about the pressure of this life. So I want you to look at your neighbor and say, you look like you've been through a little drama. <laughs> I heard some people say, I know you've been through drama. 
<laughs> Y'all been on the phone this afternoon saying, what about this? Oh, my goodness. See, the problem is, is there, there's some people in this place that have been through some drama, some pressure, some tribulation in their life. And as you walk through this hard stuff of life, at some point in your journey, in your faith journey, what you may discover is you feel a little bit of lost, hopeless. You feel confused, a little bit embittered in your life because you feel like either God has forgotten all about you, he has left you, he has just, he has just walked away and taken his hand over from over your life, or maybe you just feel like you haven't been living for the Lord like you ought to, and so that's why you are under this kind of pressure that you're under, the pressure to pay the bills, the pressure to get things right on the job, the pressure in the family, in the home, the pressure of that situation medically, that pressure that you have that is bubbling up inside of you that's pressing outward and not just inward. And you feel that pressure so much that you, it's either God's fault or your fault, but it doesn't even matter at this point because either way, you just want up and out of it. Can I get an amen? Amen. And so this is likely what some people in the Roman church were experiencing as they were going through what they were going through because, you see, they had not been hearing the correct interpretation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They didn't know anything about this. They didn't have the book of Romans yet. And so this Romans, the letter of Romans that Paul wrote, is what I want to share with you today. Today I want to show you that God places his children under pressure to refine them like diamonds. Somebody say amen. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would come and speak to our hearts and lives this morning. I pray, God, that we would get comfortable in the pressure of life because, Lord, we know that your hand is in it. We love you and we praise you. Let your word change us forever. Amen. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, he said, and there's more. (laughs) But we also glory in tribulation, knowing that the tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who is given to us. Hallelujah. If that doesn't get you going, I don't know what will. Some, some people need to check their vitals this morning. See, I, I, I want to walk through this passage exegetically, which means a little bit verse by verse and talking about it. So please, I want you to keep your Bibles open. I want you to keep your devices on because we're going to be tracking through this verse by verse. I also feel obligated to issue you a disclaimer about our church. So if you're a first-time guest or haven't been with us very often, I want you to know that we are a Pentecostal church. That, that means that we do believe in speaking in tongues. We, we believe in the giftings of the Holy Spirit. We believe that the Lord would like to use his church and work in his church miraculous signs and wonders as evidence of his glory in our lives. Amen? 
That also, be, that also means that we believe and say an amen every couple of times. Just so that we can encourage ourselves and our neighbors that what is happening in the pulpit is anointed of God and is blessing you and it should be blessing somebody else. Oh, my goodness. That's a message right there. So I want you to know that you, you need to be engaged into this message just like that pressure of life is engaged into you. Therefore, having been justified, somebody say justified, by faith we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, this is a big therefore because up until this point, Paul has been talking about salvation he has been talking about sin, and now he wants to turn the corner and talk about suffering. But instead of looking at suffering in a bad way, he was, he's trying to show us the benefits of salvation. And so in this passage, he's saying that suffering is a benefit of salvation. And somebody needs to drug test Paul. Seriously, can you imagine what the Roman church was thinking whenever they read this? Paul, you have lost it. Are you crazy? The preacher man that got me saved said my life would be better when I gave my heart to him, not worse. And that's the kind of distorted rumors that was going in the Roman church. But I wonder this morning if that's the kind of thinking that some of us might have had as we walk our Christian faith, our, our journey in Christ. Didn't somebody tell me that this was supposed to be easy? Wasn't, wasn't my family supposed to just all of a sudden be like, hey, something's changed in dad. He's a better guy. I think I'm going to start behaving myself. <laughs> see, the, your, the family is laughing just like you are. <laughs> like, mm-mm, we're going to see if he's saved. <laughs> and we just... We just have this distorted view that when we got saved, then the pressure of life will be taken off of us. But that's just not the case, is it? So he says, therefore. And then he uses this big word that I want to explore a little bit. He says, we were justified by faith. Now, as Christians, we say the word justified a lot. But I don't want us just to move past it. I want us to have a real concrete understanding of the word justified. So I want to show you what that means. Justified means simply, just as I have never sinned. Well, there should have been a lot more amens right there. Because, see, if you didn't amen right there, that means that you're either not saved or you didn't even fully understand what I was just saying. Because justified means just as I had never sinned. It means that back in... Back in those college and high school days when you were acting like a fool <laughs> and you had no business doing what you were doing, God doesn't even hold it against you anymore. There, there's some people in this room that every time that you think about the past, you cringe a little bit. Every time you think about that moment or the, the, that time in your life, the early in your career, that, that when you first started having kids, whenever, whenever, you, whenever you lost your family, whenever all this stuff was happening in your life, and, and you know that you weren't living like you should have been living, and you look back at that, you, you all of a sudden get filled with guilt and that shame. And I want you to know this morning that there is no guilt 
There is no shame in him because you have been justified just as you have never sinned and you get to stand before the glory of God because of his justification. But see, it's not that you were justified by works. Ephesians tells us in Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus that you weren't justified by works. You weren't saved by works that no man should boast. You were justified by faith. That means it doesn't matter how much you put in the offering right at each and every door on your way out. It it doesn't matter if you're a Sunday school teacher. It doesn't matter if you were a worship band or singer. It it doesn't matter if you were on the deacon board. It, It doesn't matter if you pull five miles an hour through the parking lot instead of 20 miles an hour like you usually do. You are justified by your faith in Christ Jesus. See, some of us may not understand what that feeling is, that feeling of clean, that feeling of, of weightlessness from your sin. Because when you think back on how you were, you get filled with that weight again. And see, I want to encourage you this morning, you can walk away feeling weightless again. You can walk away with that sin removed from your life, justified this morning. You don't have to walk around with that burden, with those old, guilty stains in your life any longer. See, because God looks at, at us in the genuineness of our heart. You can't fool him, you can't buy him, and you can't beg him. He looks at the genuineness of your heart, and so when you come to him by your faith in his son, Christ Jesus, then your sin has been removed. See, that that faith is the only way that you and I can have access to the peace of God that takes away that sin. And I want to be that kind of person that has that peace, that walks around with that peace. That kind of person is the person that whenever they roll up in a hard situation, they're the kind of people that are calming everybody down and say, hey, you need to chill out. God's got this. Has somebody ever told you that? You need to calm down. God's got you. You didn't know that? Did you read in the Scripture that God's got you? Has God ever let you down? And that person starts calming the fire down. That person is the one that brightens up the room because their life has been brightened by Christ Jesus. That's the kind of person I want to be. I want to be a person that has been justified by faith in Christ so that I have a hope in him. Romans 5.2 says this, through whom also we have access by faith into the grace, somebody said grace, in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Man, I wish I had a little bit more time to talk about grace. Okay, I do. (laughs) I think it might. Because just like justification, we kind of walk by grace a little bit, and we just throw grace around everywhere. Like, Like grace is cheap or something. I want you to understand that grace is not free, and it is not cheap, although it is freely given. It didn't come free. Grace simply means that we have received access to the Father through the Son, and although we were undeserved, we have the privilege of coming to the Father. 
That grace is what allows us to have that relationship with Christ. Have you ever met somebody that acted like they deserved their relationship with Jesus? Stop elbowing your neighbor. They acted like they should have been saved. They act like they can save you. If you would just listen to them a little bit more and follow their directions, then you would be a lot better off in your life. I think there's a lot of people that we know like that sometimes in our lives. But I want you to know that it's only through the grace that we have in Christ Jesus that we're saved. But this isn't just access to the grace. It was access also to the hope in glory. See, hope simply means expectation. Hope simply means the expectation that we have in Christ. So this is an amazing thing that we have in Christ, this hope. Some people walk around saying things like, I hope the Sooners are going to start playing better than they have been. <laughs> Keep hoping. Keep hoping. I want, I want them to win. I don't think they're going to. Some people are looking around like, I hope Pastor John lets us out by 1130. <laughs> Keep hoping. <laughs> I'm going to try. It's not going to happen. Um, but that's kind of a hope so hope. But what Paul is writing about in his letter to the Romans is a no so hope. It's a hope that is not based on a desire that we have. It's a hope that's based on an expectation that is grounded in experience with Christ. So this no-so hope is the kind of hope that we can be sure about. It's the kind of hope that we can look forward in the future with expectation because we can look at the past and we can see what that God has been faithful to us all the way through our life. It's the kind of hope that we have in the promise of heaven. See, the, the word glory is used in this passage that we're looking at. It's used twice, and in the English, we only have one word to describe it. It's glory, and then we say glory again. But in the Greek, we actually have two different words of glory. The first one I want to look over is glory. It's doxa. It's the splendor and the brightness and the shining and radiance. Okay, we're talking about the hope of glory is heaven. I kind of wonder why more and more churches aren't talking about heaven and rapture right now. The rapture of the church could happen before I say amen this morning. Look around at this nation. Look around at this world. Everything is set up right straight for Christ to return for his church. Don't you know that the Bible says in the twinkling of an eye that trumpet will sound and the dead in Christ will be raised and those that are still alive will be caught up in the air to meet him face to face? And that's the kind of hope that we have in glory this morning, that's the kind of hope that is worth getting up out of bed and facing the day because we know when that trumpet is, that sounds, we got a journey to go on. Amen. And you know what? If the rapture happens, I don't even care if they count my ballot. 
Come on, somebody. I don't even care. I'm going to get in trouble, so I need to keep on going. Let's, let's continue on because we're about to jump into the part of the passage that I want to spend a little bit of time in this morning. So I want you to look at the continuation of the description of the cycle of hope that Paul is going to explain to us in verse 3. And not only that, but we also, somebody say glory in tribulation. See, we are under pressure. We're under pressure in this life. But did you catch how Paul slipped that in? We, we glory under tribulation. It's like, Paul, that is a shame. Shame on you. The tribulation that we face, the tribulation from the Greek word comes from phlipsis, which means to crush, press together, squash him in, and compress and squeeze. Anybody ever feel like they've been in tribulation before? <laughs> See, that Latin word was translated into, the Greek word was translated into Latin into tribulum, and they actually used that word to describe a farming implement. Now, I need to tell you a little bit about Roman and early Mediterranean farming. So just kind of stay with me for a second, okay? Don't, don't take your Sunday afternoon nap too early because this is important. Not your neighbor say, wake up, this is important. Watch this. So farmers back in the day had this thing called a trebulum. And it was a big, heavy log, very, very heavy, big log that they drove spikes all around it. That or they had this huge sled, it was a very heavy sled, that they would drive rocks and, and, and metal pieces into the bottom of it. What would happen is they would go out and they would harvest the wheat. They'd put it in bundles and they'd walk those bundles up the hill and they would get to what they called the threshing floor, which was a hard, solid rock surface up on top of this hill somewhere. And they would begin to unbundle these, these bundles of, of wheat and they would strow them all about the ground. Then they would take the trebulum that was usually pulled by an ox or donkey or by their son. <laughs> and he would begin to walk around and around pulling that trebulum across that hard rock surface. And this violent thing began to happen as he would begin to pull that sled, that 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 roller across that wheat, that wheat would begin to be torn. It would begin to be crushed into the ground. It would begin to be pulled apart. And the farmer behind that, after a few passes, would come over with a, with a pitchfork and he would take that, that wheat and he would toss it up into the air because they were on a, on a high hill. That wind would come and it would begin to blow across and blow the chaff away, the pieces of that stalk away, and what would fall to the ground right there would be the grain of wheat that the farmer could use. I see some faces in here, and I realize that some of y'all probably know where I'm going with this. See, that your life has been under pressure. It's been under pressure for a long, long time. You feel like Things are pressing on you. You feel like as, 
as your problems pass over you that it's leaving little bits and pieces of you behind. And to be honest with you, you are right. The pressures of this life are difficult. They're hard. But you see, we serve an on-time God. That old song says he's an on-time God. Yes, he is. He may not come, what? When you want him. But he'll be there right on time. See, that farmer knows something that we have a hard time understanding. That farmer understands that he has to bring that pressure, that, that, that tearing of the wheat. He has to bring that in order to harvest what is good from that plant and get away what is bad, what is unuseful. And what God understands about our lives is it takes a little bit of pressure in our lives in order to take away the things that God can't use so that he can pull out something that is worth him using in your life and in my life today. And I think that somebody in this place needs to know that God is an on-time God and the pressure that you've been living under, the pressure that you've been experiencing in your life is for a purpose and it's for a reason and it had a beginning but look out because it has an end in him praise the lord we also need to understand this that that farmer understood that if there is pressure there for a little while then not enough of that grain is harvested and the crop goes to waste But if he puts that wheat under too much tribulation, under too much trebulum, then he'll destroy the grain. Our God knows exactly what you need in your life. He's watching you. He hasn't left you. He he hasn't forsaken you. He is watching exactly what you need, and he's going to pull that pressure off of you in the right time because he knows The harvest is coming in you. He hasn't given up on you. And that's why we must glory in tribulation. Not because we are sick people. Not because we just like to go through a hard time. Not because we like to be serious and mean and scowl on our face. Because if you've ever been in a church and you hadn't seen that guy that scowls all the time, you probably hadn't been in a Pentecostal service. (laughs) It's not because of that. It's because we understand that the pressure of this life isn't allowed, isn't given to us, isn't pushed down on us. It's allowed in us by a loving God in which we are in his process. Somebody say amen. And that's why we glory. Because glory in this case means to brag and to rejoice in. That's right to brag and to rejoice in. It's easy to sing when the pressure is off, but somebody, can you say, I can praise when the pressure is on now. I can sing whenever it gets hard. I can praise the Lord whenever things are tough in life. Pressure produces something, though. It produces perseverance. Knowing that tribulation produces, Paul says, perseverance. Perseverance is the ability to keep up whenever it gets difficult in life. It's the ability to persevere 
It's the ability to push through the pain. There are a lot of people in here that could have been stronger in their life, but when the going got tough, they cut and run. I wonder, I wonder, how many people in this place would have been in a stronger position, would have been a stronger person had they not asked God to remove them from the storm of this life. I, I, I wonder if instead of asking God to take the storm away, if we began to start asking God to make us stronger than the storm, where we would be as a church family. Because Paul was writing to a church about 13 years before the fall of Jerusalem, which means that in 13 years from this, the time that this letter was written and received, that Jerusalem would fall apart. And watch this. And, and Christianity would be left standing on its own to run away for their lives. And that's the kind of tribulation that Paul was writing to in that day. And here in America, we're a little bit scared whenever whenever we got to wear masks. So we're a little bit scared whenever our, our rights are beginning to be stepped on. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't stand up for our rights. And I'm not saying that, that we shouldn't cause a stir whenever churches are closed. But I want you to know that there is far greater tribulation that the church of Christ has had to undergo and if we had a historical mindset and looked at the context of tribulation over history, what we would find is that we can be a lot tougher than we are right now. And I believe this with all of my heart, that God is preparing his church to be under a pressure that's put on by him so that it will in us produce perseverance, perseverance in him. Pressure over time produces the diamond of the godly character. It's the proof. And I want to show you, Paul says, and perseverance, character. See, Paul continues to point out this cycle of hope that perseverance produces character. But I wonder how many of you guys out there have ever prayed a prayer like me. See, because sometimes I pray this prayer, and, and I mean it with all of my heart. I'm like, God, if I just knew that this is where I was supposed to be, I could handle the pressure a little bit more. If I just knew that I was in your will, Lord, then I would be okay with being ground into the dirt, into the dust. If I just knew, but Lord, I, I don't know. I'm scared I'm not where I'm supposed to be. I'm scared I'm, not, I'm doing what I'm not supposed to be doing. I'm scared I'm not in your will. And so is this pressure from me being not in your will, or is this the pressure that's from you because I am in your will. Man, what a scary feeling that is. But I want to show you what the proof is. The proof is the godly character. God says this morning, for all of those that have been praying that prayer, God says the proof is you. You are the proof or not that you are in God's will. I, I, I want to show you this because because. Well, how about this? How many people would ever raise their hand, be brave enough to raise their hand and say, one day I woke up and I said, well, today I'm just going to start being a godly person. <laughs> I just decided I'm going to be a godly person today. Whoop, glory. <laughs> How'd that go for you? <laughs> 
You crashed and burned, didn't you? (laughs) It's because you can't just wake up and decide that you're going to be a godly person. You got to earn that. You got, you've got to be under the pressure of God that produces the perseverance that in turn brings out the godly character inside of you. You can't just decide that you're going to have godly character one day if you haven't been through the cycle of hope and change that God has for you. So instead of trying to pray that God will remove you from the storm, instead of trying to pray that you hope and you pray that you're in God's will, you can just look at your life and see if the pressure that you're under is producing godly character. And if it is, then you're right where you're supposed to be. If you're a little bit more patient, if you're a little bit more loving, If you're a little bit more understanding, if you have a little bit more self-control, then you're right where God wants you to be. That's the proof. That's where it's at. But see, this proof produces an incredible hope, and this is my final point. And character, hope. See, hope is a funny thing because There are two kinds of hope. The first kind of hope is the built on the desires that we have. The desires that we have. I hope this. And I hope that. I I, I, I hope I have enough money to pay my bills. I I hope I get that promotion. I, I hope my wife or my husband doesn't get mad at me. All these hopes based on the desire that we have. But the hope that is produced from the pressure and the perseverance and the proof of our life is a hope that's based on the expectation and experience that we have in Christ. See, there's some people in here that have tried a lot of things. You tried chasing after money. Maybe you got it. Maybe you got some. And it didn't give you any hope. And then you tried chasing after relationships, and you got the love of your life, but in the end, you realized that that didn't fill the gap either. You got the new car. You got the new house. You got the beautiful family. On the outside, every box in your life is checked, and you're still looking around to try to find something that will give you hope, not just for today, but for the future to come. And then you came to the Lord. Then you came to the Lord, and everything changed. For the first time in your life, you experienced a hope And the more you trusted him, and the more you felt that pressure, and that pressure produced perseverance, and the perseverance produced godly character, and the godly character produced more hope in your life. It's a terrible cycle of hope just springing up everywhere. Sooner or later, no matter what you go through, no matter what you deal with, there's always more Hope. Because the Lord has you. 
And he's working in you and he's working through you. And you begin to see the signs of his hand upon your life that when you feel that pressure, oh, oh, the Lord is in this place. You feel him moving in your life, in your heart. You see, Paul says, now hope does not disappoint because the Lord of God has given, has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. <laughs> you see, tribulation, the pressure, is because of his love. Full circle. He loves us. Would you stand with me everywhere? Hallelujah. You tried God, and he hadn't let you down. He's been faithful. He's poured out his love on your life. Maybe there's someone in this place that hadn't been filled with the Holy Spirit yet. I want you to know that it is His will for you to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So continue to seek Him out because He wants to fill you so that He can use you to operate in you, to empower you, to make you stronger than the storms, the pressure that you face. But I, I want to talk for the Christians real quick to the Christians real quick, and then I want to talk to the people that aren't sure that they're Christians real quick. First to the Christians, as you discover today, the pressure produces perseverance, and the perseverance produces godly character, and the godly character in turn produces hope. And you found that to be true in your life, and that the more you go through, the more your hope has been increased, the more your faith, hope, love, joy patience, self-control, all these things, you've seen them bubble up in your life and you want to thank God for that. That's you. But there's another group of people in this place today. There's that person that is not sure that they're a Christian because the truth is, is that when you have gone through pressure, it hadn't made you more like God. You got bitter. You got tired. You got ground into the dust, and it destroyed your character. You started living like you shouldn't be living again. You started walking down those old roads again. And as your character fell, your hope, not only for today and for the days to come, began to fade. I want you to know this morning that you don't have to leave here broken and hopeless. You don't have to leave here without joy and without the faithful assurance welling up in your life that God has something for you. 